0: Okay, Welcome everybody. It is a pleasure to see everyone. We're going to start a new series today. We're doing a four-part series. The topic is Judaism: a value system or a legal system. And intuitively, I think we all know that it is a little bit of both. Um, but before before getting there, let's try to try to appreciate some of those some of those those ideas. A number of the questions that we're going to be dealing with throughout the course of the next few weeks are um, the first one, which is: Is it a value system? Is it a legal system? How Torah conveys values? How Torah conveys laws? What happens when there's a clash between values? What happens when there's a clash between law and value? And who determines those values? Is there morals outside of the Torah system which determine the value system? A lot of interesting and important questions which we'll be dealing with over the course of the next few weeks. Um, Today our topic is how the Torah conveys meta-ideas. Not just an idea, not just a law, but how it or conveys values, bigger bigger system ideas. I'd like to start off by by, by thanking our sponsors this morning for today's share. First, I'd like to start off by thanking Rosemary Fish, who is sponsoring today's share. On the, upon the yard side of her sister, Dr. lennon Dumont, Leia Esther Bas Devora Rivka Lea Sholem. She should have continued Alias Neshama Be Ezra Sashem. We also want to thank Chayan Josh Glickman who are sponsoring for Chaya's father's upcoming outside this Wednesday, Mr. Sol Saul Schoenfeldt, um, Sh- Shlomo Ben Pesach David, Olaf HaShalom. And um I I Be- Be'ezras Hashem. I hope that the Nashab has a continued Alias, Nasham in Eden, And uh, and those the, those who knew him should Bas Hashem have continued Nachas from him and those who knew his his children have continued Chizok from his memory. We also want to thank Marilyn and Elliot Lauer who are sponsoring upon Marilyn's mother's yard Mrs. Judith um, Abram Steinberg, Yehudis um, Liba, Yehudis Libes, really. We're coming up on the sixth, fifth yard site this year. And um, obviously somebody whose leadership has uh, transformed our community and beyond. And we, we, are, we are beneficiaries, but as a shame we should have continued, we should, we should have continued nachas from her and her from us as well. And we, we also want to thank Barbara and ja- Yisroch Siegel who are sponsoring for Yisroch's Mothers. you outside, Mrs. Rose Siegel, Sarah, Rasa, Bas, Rafael. and we thank them for being. With us from afar, Beis Shama should have an alia. Let's let's learn Torah together. So this the, the, it, is, it should be obvious. Oh, Thank you so much. If there's anybody who needs an extra source sheet, oh, there we go. My, thank you so much. Thank you, Bobby. <clears throat> thank you so much. If anybody needs extras, they are they're right over here. Let's start with this topic at, at the very beginning. It should be obvious to us that every legal system has values behind it because a system which is simply a legal system um, will not succeed. Because the ideas that birthed that legal system clearly were meant to be conveyed. It's just very clumsy to convey values when you regulate action. That's the problem that exists. So I have an idea. I want society to be, to be governed in a certain way. So I set up a law. But inevitably, there's going to be problems with that law. And when you have a society which is simply a by the letter, living by the letter, um, or living by the loophole, essentially, society we will come to uh, come to problems. And, in fact, the Gomorrah describes that this was one of the reasons why the Ba'es-Makesh was descri- destroyed was because of such a society, a society where they decided that Judaism was a legal system rather than a value system. So, as an example, take a look at source 2, the Gomorrah of This is amongst a, a much larger discussion about another topic. The Gomorrah says, Asher Yasun, asher yasun quoting a posuk, um now the person must perform. And the Gemara explains or Darshans unpacks those words to mean Zu lifnim mishura That is going beyond the Lishura Saden. Shura Saden literally means the letter of the law or the line of the law. It says, <speaking in Hebrew> The Jerusalem was destroyed because the court systems exacted Din <speaking> Torah, <Hebrew> the law of Torah. So Gemara says, <speaking in Hebrew> So wait a second. So you might, you must. Uh, the the, the decision making should have been completely arbitrary, right? It should have been based on another legal system. How? What do you expect the courts of Jerusalem to 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 issue their verdicts based on? So the Gomorrah then says, um, They never demanded beyond piety. They never demanded something more. And simply the letter of the law, and they let the case lie just as is, because technically speaking, the person who did X really doesn't need to pay for such a situation, because technically speaking, there's a there's a very famous and well-known effect which has been named now called the Cobra Effect, um, which is uh, um, which is which was based on actually when the British were in control of India, and there was a problem in New Delhi of cobras. There were many too many too many too many snakes in the city. So what the, the British did was they set up an incentivization system where anybody would come in with, a, with a, the skin of a cobra would be rewarded duly. And, um, and what they found is after the first few months, not only was there a, not a decrease in the amount of cobras in the city, but there was an increase in the amount of cobras in the city, despite the fact that they were actually shelling out a huge amount of money. Because what some very <coughs> ev, be, very innovative individuals did was they started setting up cobra farms, right, in order to be able to claim the rewards, right. This, this works in all kinds of situations. And there was a particular, there was a, I, don't, I think it was down in Kentucky, where they, they had an incentivization program to hand in firearms. They gave a price for, fire, for firearms. And, uh, and, and they found that the first people in line were the gun dealers who had went to the nursing homes to buy off the guns of the elderly to bring them in for money, All, and the second people in line were the people who, had, uh, who were trading in their old guns in order to be able to take the money to contribute towards their new automatic rifles. Right? So, meaning it, it, the idea of living by the letter of the law doesn't work. Right? There must be something bigger. And then the question that, 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 that we have to ask ourselves is, well, how do you convey something bigger and how do we understand something bigger, both on the side of the lawgiver and the law, so to speak, abider, the citizen in that society, how do we get there? that's that those are the questions that one would need to 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 ask and Judaism I think struggles with these things it'd be much easier to have a value system but then value systems are too airy-fairy right you you can't talk about just value systems. you need to have a legal system but once you have a legal system then you get the 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 literalists who just say well that's what it says in the book and therefore this is the only way we need to do things and so the, the the question of today's topic is if there are values which we definitely assume there are the Gomorrah is saying that we are punished for not having noticed them. So how does the Torah convey that to us? Where do we look to find those? And so the, the argument today is very simple. That there's three avenues in which the Torah does this and we're going to look at each one individually. And they are prescriptive, descriptive and inductive. Because let's, 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 let's take a step backwards and appreciate them prescriptive and that is that sometimes the legal system will actually talk about values it'll talk about meta ideas ideas which are beyond the specific minutia of a particular action so let's let, let's think about those together can we think of a prescriptive value the torah says keep a value not a law keep a value and not a law <laughs> okay so that's an interesting one so so what paul's suggesting is is go in the ways of god right so, by the way, that actually is reduced to laws, right? Mahu rachum So it does it does reduce it to or mahu mevaker cholim af atom mevaker So the Gemara reduces that, so to speak, distills it into actions, quantifiable actions like Bikr cholim and leviyus But that is a good example of where the Torah gives you a big idea, and that big idea has to be understood or defined, right? But you need to be godly, right? I'm a, a, a being like the divine. That's an example of that. Any, any other sort of that to come up? Uh, <coughs> good, loving a friend like yourself, yes. Okay, good. And again, by the way, notice that the Gomorrah will reduce these. The Gomorrah will say, this is what it looks like, right, because we <coughs> need it to be tangible. But in the end of the day, the Gemara, the, the Torah is giving it to us in a bigger, a bigger sense. I'd like to discuss three, which are very famous ones, but they, they affect us on a daily basis as well. Um, and that is the beginning of Pasha's Kedoshim. It's called Parshish Kedoshim because the Torah tells us, tell you, be holy, okay? I want to be holy, so what do I do? <laughs> How do I be holy? So Rashi tells us the word holy, the word kadosh, always means, good morning Rosemary. Um, the word holy means what? Rashi tells us separation, right? So Rashi tells us the holiness is related to separation, which means that I need to be purushim. I need to be separate. What is the separation from Rashi tells us? Immoral relationships, right? He so says you want to be holy? Then make sure that you distance yourselves, make sure not, no, not to be a little too too close or comfort for those who are ones not supposed to have a relationship with. However, the Ramban very famously tells us that there is a meta principle at work here which is <coughs> bigger than the law. Rashi is telling us this is a law, right? Meaning, there are relationships which are forbidden, so, do, so distance yourself. That's, a, that's really a tangible law, right? The Ramban says it's more than that. Take a look at source 4, and this is such a very beautiful, beautiful idea which we, we, we come across, and it's sometimes emphasized but sometimes forgotten. Va'inyan, he says, the, re- the law, idea over here is when you talk about inyan, that's not a law. Inyan is the idea, right? The, the matter. There are certain parameters. There are certain things we're not allowed to eat. There are certain relationships we're not allowed to engage, engage in. But there are certain things we are allowed to enjoy in life. There's there's um, there there, are, there there is uh, there is the opportunity of <coughs> sexual activity within marriage. There's opportunity of indulgence when it comes to uh, food. There's much that that Jews can eat and look at the menus just down Central Avenue, folks. Right? What's uh, what's available today? It says. <laughs> It is quite plausible for a person to be completely indulged in life, living an indulgent life within the parameters of the law, right? Whether it be whether it be in the, within the confines of their marriage, within the confines of kosher, within the confines of free speech, they can say whatever they want, do whatever they want, act however they want. And essentially, be what the Ramban calls, the outcome is, Naval is, well, how do you translate that word? Disgusting. A disgusting person within the bounds of law, right? So you can clearly have missed the boat. You're supposed to be what a Jew looks like and you are acting simply like what a heathen looks like on the street corners in, in, in Russia. You can't put two words together after they're drunk and stupid, but that's how you are because it's mutter, technically speaking. Right? That's uh, that's uh, that's what the, the 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 could be the outcome. And therefore he says, that mm-hmm. we That a person should exercise additional caution. A person should be that uh, to to take in all these laws to an outcome. And he goes on to describe that a person should be. Should be balanced in the way they interact in this world. And skipping down to the next paragraph. And he says, This is where this general mitzvah comes, this value based mitzvah. The Torah tells us some very specific red lines. And she connects with Chlal Zoys at Zavaani, creates biyaday biyadav the Gufay, and that's what it means when it says Viskadashtem elu myim rishonim, Viskadashim elu myim arkonim, ki kadosh zeh eshem anarve. And then he goes on to say how Chazal are going to quantify some specific items, but the idea is meant to be is think about exercising caution, thinks about exercising balance, think about what the Torah wants of us, not just what us to do, technically speaking. And there again the Ramban is addressing this particular idea of being a naval satara, which is very plausible and unfortunately is not so uncommon in uh, when it comes to legal systems where people just live by the letter of the law. Another example the Ramban says, and this, this affects us today, is the Torah tells at the beginning of, in Parshas Emor. it says, uh, it talks about um, uh, actually, it's actually referring to um, Rosh Hashanah, but it's a, a law which, a, a, which applies to Shabbos as well. He says, It will be a day of rest. So Shabbos and Yom Tov are meant to be days of rest. What does it mean, Shabbos, on, rest exactly? So he says, in the second paragraph, the Ramban again, in the second paragraph of source 6, says, melacha." We're demanded to rest, to cease from activity, um, which may be mutter. Because <laughs> technically speaking, on based on biblical law, I could really carry a lot and I could end up as you know sweating a lot as I bring my produce from the granary to the storefront and I'm measuring it so I can really get ready to sell. And I can clear this and I can move that and I can set up my shop over here because that's technically not, uh, there's no actual, I'm not doing Kharisha, I'm not doing zaria, I'm not doing any of those activities. So we'll set up a city that's gonna have a uh, that's gonna have an A roof, so we're no longer it's gonna be surrounded by a wall, so we won't have a carrying issue. You a Muslim alachamuri ah, V Yainva and Ma say of you beyond, Via Shuk Malayla Mecca me. And then we'll have the entire marketplace will be open, right? Because we'll go we'll have it avoiding all the technical biblical prob problems. Vitia Khanuyas Pasuchais, the the s the khakanus pasuha, the store will be open, the kenvoni makev and the store uh, the store owner is crediting, why crediting? Because he doesn't want to? He doesn't want to do right. He doesn't want to write. Because writing is the problem, right? Everybody's dealing with money. Because money, technically speaking, isn't an esadar. Right? And the workers, okay, all the other problems, will just hire people to do the rest. Right? They'll be switching on and off the lights because these are all not biblical, right? So he says, And they will no longer be Yom Tov. V'afilu haShabbos atzmo Shabbos as Shabbos ein bohemi shemelacha because technically speaking it isn't melacha like how Abra Torah Shabboson shei yeh yom shavisa u'menucha loy yom Torah v'zeir pirush taviyah. Then the Ramban says here is what it's meant to look like. I'm giving you what it's meant to look like. It's meant to be a day of rest. Yes, there's 39 basic principles and they have subcategories, but that it is not meant to be just that. And therefore, by the way, so how is this remedied? So what, what, how do we fix this? What, what, what is the fix for the concern that he says, the, the picture that he's just painted for us? What, what happens? Good, so the Rabbonim, Chazal set up certain Gedarim, which means, just to appreciate what's happening again, this is important for the next topic we, t- we talk about. That means to say that Chazal looked to the meta-principle, right? They looked to the value of Shabbat and they said, we need to tighten those loopholes. Right? We need to make sure that it won't look like that based on the principle where what we know the outcome is meant to be. Does that make sense? Okay, so now, which means that Chazal have a part to play in the expressing of the values. That's, a, that's an important step of understanding what Chazal are doing. And we'll try to get a little more to that next time, is what the role of Chazal are in this. But this, is, this, this, should, this should be obvious as to what the end is. And I believe that's the same thing that happened with electricity, to be honest. Right, if you look at the original, like when electricity is starting to, to, to become commercialized. So we're talking about the mid-19th century, okay, the, the mid to the end of the 19th century. And then the halachic decisors are starting to talk about are you allowed to not use, but switch on electricity, is, there, is the question. Switch on and switch off electricity. And there's a great debate at the beginning, because at, at the beginning there was all discussion about um, Havara, lighting a flame. And that's because the, the initial electricity was used for what purpose? electricity and the, uh, for, for, for light and the way that, they used the, the way that light was, was achieved in those days was by huge resistance which was clearly was Havara actually at the very beginning right if you read about the initial light bulb attempts at the beginning I mean terrifying <laughs> attempts around the turn of the 20th century and what well, we, 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 we were just in the late 18 the late 1880s and 90s as to the run for the patent towards the light bulb before Edison and what they were doing in public in, in, in London and Paris um, I mean, people died when they touched these things, um, the, the, uh, these these incandescent um, bulbs. So the, the, initially there was a, an idea that this is hava'ra, and then there was the machlokes <laughs> the chazanish nor this is boyna makabe patish. But I, I would argue that what, whatever the technical, so to speak, vehicle for the Isra was, there was an understanding already already that this is this is a problem with Shabbat Son. and thank God. <laughs> right, thank God that that that, that the the rabbanim of the time had such intuition. Because imagine what today would be like if if electricity was was mutter. Imagine how un Shabbos dick it would be. Yes, is Isn't that we have something like like something that whole? Yes, yes. So they even created a category of uved Now it's so hazy, it's so gray as to what that is. Right, you know what specifically that also again has parameters because not everything is uved and sometimes you'll see it thrown in as a. But you're right that's another example of where, where, where Chazal is saying there's something and actually interestingly enough that's such a, it's actually a small category ironically in, in terms of our life, because most of the rest of it is regulated based on this which so just but what, what what do you see over here is that there is Shabbos but there's a principle of Shabbos and that principle of Shabbos sometimes needs extending or applying in certain cases where based on one word the Torah tells us this is what it's meant to look like and we know what it's meant to look like and somehow Three thousand three hundred years later, after Sinai, we're still getting that right. We're still getting most of that right as well. These these are there's affect lots of very complicated decisions that affect communities. I'm not going to get into some of the more complicated questions about what Shabbos should look like uh, in our locale on on uh, on uh, main areas in the relationship of restaurants, as an example, being open on on those times is a very tough topic. But it's uh, these are these are some of the questions which are. Are asked as a, as as a function of this. Um, one 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 other example of this, but there's a, the, the Torah tells us at the in Bash's Tavarim, in say in, in, in it says, Vasisa Yashar Vatov. What is it, How do you translate that roughly? Yashar Vatov. It's very hard to write. Yashar usually means like straight, and Tov is good. Well that's a little too broad. So again, the Ramban tells us this is a meta principle. He says uh, listen to how beautiful this is. He says in source 8 This means compromise and going beyond the law In source 8, I apologize First the Torah tells you what to do, now it tells us, okay now I've told you what to do. Just apply that, be a good person, be a nice person, be an upright, be an honest person. As an example, <laughs> The Torah simply cannot enumerate every single human interaction. It can't talk about the neighbor who's parking their car halfway across the driveway of their friend. It can't talk about the person who puts a cone by the public parking spot in order to... It can't talk about double parking. It can't talk about every single iteration of non menschlichkeit that arises in society. He says, Don't be a tailbearer. Don't don't take take vengeance. Don't... um, um, don't stand, stand by and downfall your friend. Don't curse the, 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 those who cannot hear. Stand in front of the elderly. So it says then just get the message and do it. Be that kind of person the Torah asks and begs of us. But technically speaking, no. Stop it. Stop waving that finger and just act like a good person. That's what the Torah is telling us. And the Gomorrah actually gives an example of an expression of this law. And it actually quantifies this into Shulchan Aruch. What's the halacha? It's called Dinnu debar Metzra. What's Dinnu debar Metzra? The Boma Rabba Basra talks about. So let's say you have um, neighbor A and neighbor B. A neighbor B is selling out, He is moving to a new neighborhood, he's moving down south, and he's going to sell his field. So it is upon him, it is incumbent upon him, for him to first offer the field to neighbor A before he opens it to open market. Why? Because it is more useful to A than it is to anybody else. Because A can now have a double plot, and if he has a double plot, he can now start bigger, he can start, not just it's not just that he's got A one and one, which gives him two, he can now make a warehouse which he couldn't make when it was just simply A. And therefore you have the responsibility similarly when it comes to inheritance as didn't the barometra when it comes to let's say one of the properties is adjacent to one of the brothers and the other one is in the French Riviera but the fellow on the French Riviera says well technically speaking I'm older and I would like to take that field no you have to give it to the other sibling who is adjacent because it's more useful to them as well that's again a quantification of this idea um, as a whole I remember that I once had, had embarrassingly, a number of years ago, I, I had a situation which was one of those hazy, grey things where we tell ourselves, "I'm sure should, should technically be right, right?" And and we went into and we got into a situation. And somebody was very upset uh, about about something that we that we did, and I, and I went to Tversky, uh, and I said to him, Rabbi, like you know, technically speaking, right?" So he says, "I want to tell you a story." And i told the story a number of times, but it's important to to reiterate it that when Rav Moshe Solovejch used to live out in Eastern Europe, and um, this is now in the I believe the 19 teens, 19 early 1920s, um, and he was uh, he he was a case a, a particular disagreement was brought in front of him between a Jewish employer and a non-Jewish employee, and uh, they they <coughs> they both respected him and they brought this 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 case. There was a payment issue, and as they were sort of explaining the case in Yiddish. The Jewish uh, the Jewish employer um, say, said in um, the equivalent in Yiddish of he says Rabbi cut me a good deal, which essentially is an admission of guilt, right? Um, right. So so he says uh, he says Rabbi cut me a good deal, and so uh, Moshe Soloveitchik stood up and he hit the table and he says you pay him right now, right? Meaning you're not, not going to play games, you know, June non June, you know, um, and, and and start like you know backpedaling, uh, back channeling and. And so, so, uh, he, and that was the end of that. Uh, that was the end of that. A few years passed. The knock on the door at ten o'clock at, at night, and this nonju was in. He says, "They're coming for you tonight. Get out." And that was the reason why Rabbi Moshe Soloveitch made it to America. And the reason why, we were, and because Rabbi Moshe Soloveitch made married to America, guess what? His son, Yossef Soloveitchik, also later on, afterwards, made it to America, and we we're, were forever indebted and grateful. And that's just because he was an honest person. And that was because he was an honest person, and. Uh, and so, so, and Ratursky says, he says, I don't really care if it's technically all right. He says, but you should not be in such a situation. You should never be in a situation where it's gray, where you have to rationalize to yourself that it's all right. And I'm sure that if looked at it by at a particular angle, the error of parallax would help us. No, <laughs> you have to, you have to be out, Yosha Vakasha. If there's ever a rationale that comes in, and I'm sure that, then you know you're on the wrong side of well as say, So again, so this is what we call the prescriptive, where the Torah actually, from time to time, will tell us big principle. This is what we're supposed to be getting at and even though technically there's not enough time for the Torah to get, indicate every minutia This is what it's supposed to look like. Some of these are expressed in Chazal. Some of them are left open to us and we have to make those decisions. Sometimes we have to make very hard value-based decisions which are not technically in the book. That's idea number one. Now it gets a little more complicated. So this, these are the easy ones because the Torah tells us this. <clears throat> it's not easy to apply them. I remember I was actually at a shiva house. Uh, Dr. Huberfeld's um, father passed away a number of years ago, and I was sitting at, at, at the <coughs> Shiva house, and a fellow walks in, nobody knows who, uh, who he was, and he sits there for a while, he gets up, and at the end, and I was there, and, and he says "And he says that, um, he gets up and he says, you know, um, I was an employee in the supermarket a number of years ago, and he always used to pay his employees on time, and then he said, I'm be Benachem, and he walked out. <laughs> Folks, if we could be on the other end of that, for the end of our lives, we could have an employee saying that he always used to pay us on time, that's, that's, a, that's really, that's really important. Just understand that, you know, despite all the exigencies and all the things, that's, that's just, just doing the right things. Right now, now let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about, about the next stage. This is called descriptive. And this is a question that the first Russian the Torah asks us is like, let's cut to the chase. Rashi kozer Yitzhak and says, why does the Torah start at Barathez? Bar- 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 I mean, we love the stories. It's fantastic. It's so exciting. But in the end of the day, tachles, Let's start at of, Bashalak. that's when we get national mitzvahs, that's when we become a nation. Let's, let's talk about what it's all meant to be. And what Rashi essentially saying is, why do we need all the stories? Just tell us what it's all about and we'll listen to it. Let it, let it be a textbook of law, right? 1.1.1 1. A, right? Do X, right? So you should now count the new month because this is going to facilitate in order to make uh, facilitate festivals. Here's what festivals look like. That's what it should be. And so what does Rashi answer in this case? Just interestingly enough. <clears throat> Right, why does the Torah started, Right, so the Rashi says it's about the land of Israel, and interestingly enough, he says that the strength of his of his actions he gave to his his, his people that Hashem gives and takes land depending on what he what he what he wants. And I always wondered, like, why it isn't that, that nobody's ever, like, you know, the, the um, um, Israeli ambassador to the UN doesn't just whip out this Rashi and say, folks, I don't understand. Why are you telling us that we're, we're thieves, which is precisely what Rashi said is they going to say. Just pull this Rashi and say, it says, <coughs> well, all of the Genesis, folks, is, is, because of, is to tell us that we own it. And nobody seems to ever take that as a, as, as a given. Um, so the, uh, the truth is, I think that Rashi wasn't talking to the UN. Rashi was saying, He <laughs> said, Because of us, like we need to figure that out ourselves first. We need to we need to stop doubting it. There were more. There was a greater percentage of uh, evangelical Christians in this country who voted for the move of the embassy to Jerusalem than there were Jews in this country. (laughs) We got to start finding. Got to start being proud of our heritage a little earlier than than everybody else. That's what it starts with. which, Which again, by the way, is not a law. What is it? It's a value. And so, therefore, the Torah actually goes to great lengths to tell us these stories because embedded in the story is a value. Sometimes, in moments of weakness. I say to myself, I look in the mirror and I say, aren't rabbis just glorified storytellers? You know, because in the end of the day, like, you know, you can give these drushes and you can give all these ideas and so on. And, and then you're like, you know, you throw in a joke and somebody comes in the end and says, Rabbi, that was just so great, that joke. That was just, that was the best drush I've ever heard. And like the idea, the idea, the idea Yeah, but the joke, the joke was just fantastic, Rabbi. It was just, you know, that was the best joke I've ever heard. And I don't, five minutes later, I don't even remember the idea. You know, it's just about the story. It's about the joke. It's, uh, you know, they say, they say, how does it work? How often can you repeat? So they say, you know, for a joke, you have to wait, you know, a a good few, uh, like, you know, six, seven months or so for a story, maybe about three months. And for a dvar Torah between Friday night and Seder sort of Shlishis is all right, you know. <laughs> that's 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 enough time for, for repetition, you know. All tongue in cheek, but uh, but the point the point is is that is that sometimes you just wonder is you know is not isn't, isn't, isn't it isn't it a isn't uh, it a sad moment? So I actually I actually had the opportunity just recently. of spending time with um, the Rosh Hashiv of the Shulgrad Greater Washington, Rabbi Aaron and, um, and he was just here in the Five Towns, there was a number I bought him who had the opportunity of spending time with him. And, and I asked him this question, and, he, and we were talking about, about this, and he said, you know what? He says, stories are the greatest vehicle for conveying values. And in fact, that is precisely the way to convey values, more than any ideas, more than any thoughts, more than any uh, loops in logic Really, the way to convey ideas is through stories. It's the way we do it. And that's why the most successful of ideas, the most transformative of ideas come through stories. And the Torah recognizes that, and that's why it starts in such a way. where well, The Torah is not just telling us our cultural beginnings, and it's not just telling us our stake in in this territory. It's telling us more than that. It's telling us who we are through the way they act, and we're supposed to replicate that. As an example, the, 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 the Sefer Nitziv, the Rav Natali Tzuyu da Berlin, who is the Rosh Shiva of, the Shivan Vilajim wrote a on the Torah. He wrote a number of pirushim on the Torah, but one of them was called Ha Emek That's the most accessible of them. And in his introduction, he talks about the names of each of the books, <coughs> and um, he gives a different name for each book than the ones that we usually use. So, as an example, instead of Genesis, which is essentially the book of creation, what's the word that he, the name of the book, or the first book of the Torah, that he uses? Anybody familiar? He calls it, based on a midrash, Sefer Hayashar, the book of the upright of the straight. What does that mean? So he says I'm in mean, source 10. Why is it called the book of those who are upright? That's what Bilam, a non Jew, Gentile, prayed that he would have his end would be like. to <coughs> Din ispa'er b'shiras ha'azinu al al pasuk hatzur tamim polay kikol jochav mishpat zadik v'yashar hu Hashem is is yashar Hashem is upright. The shevach yashar hu nemar lahatzik din ha'kadosh baruchu hu b'churvan ba'is sheni shoyador ikeshupsal tall. There we're saying, Hashem, you are right in destroying the base of even though we thought otherwise. That they might have been great righteous people who studied Torah. <laughs> and that's pretty much what the gomorrah was saying, is they had so much Torah and so much of a Torah society, and it was just so corrupt as human beings. That was what was happening then. <laughs> Um, And this sectarian group and that sectarian group were all killing each other. Listen to Dr. Abramson's incredible lectures at the end of the the realm of of, of the Second Temple and hear what was really going on over there. And these could have been really pious individuals who were holding to the letter of the law and yet they're completely intolerant of any other group. Right? It's, it seems almost pre-appreciated pre, in terms of what's going on today. It, what's the same society ripping itself apart? And it led to terrible bloodshed. Until the English destroyed. Most of the destruction was done before the Romans came. As a function of infighting. That's why you know, we talk about Hashem. What's the tziru kadein tzareiku yasharhu? We're saying that Hashem was righteous because He's yashar. She'achosh baruchu yasharhu ve'aino suvel tzadikim koelu. Hashem does not appreciate righteous people who are not upright. ela but often she cholchim b'derech yashar gam alichosolam v'loy ba'akvimus afal gavshunu b'Hashem shemaim. This is gorem churban abriav arisos aretz. And He says, and that's what it means by the avos. Zeh ha'yashuv ha'avos shem l'vad shayut tzadikim v'chazidim v'ayve Hashem ba'ofen ayosere yashar od ha'yu yisharim. The way that they dealt with even the Gentile neighbors who had nothing in common religiously, they were Yasharim. Look at the way that Avram is described by the Bnei Chais. They recognized his moral greatness. That's what it means to be a Yashar. And by the way, the Avos lived before the giving of the Torah, which means they didn't even have the possibility of the legal textbook in the same way that we do. And yet, they were Yashar. Perhaps maybe even because of the absence of the legal textbook, it was easier to be Yashar because you understood what the values were more than just the legal system. That's what's described, that's what's called Sefer Yashar. And so therefore there's numerous examples in halacha of where we learn these things. So as the example of says in source 11, that there's a notion of zrizus of alacrity. Where do we learn that from? There's ideas of that, so that's the Gemara and Yuma. Then we know, know, know that, um, that the, the idea of, of, of caring enough about one's neighbors to even rebuke them, right? No, meaning to say not the American way which is just to live and let live and let them die and let, let die because I don't care what's happening to them, is to get involved enough to say, I care about you. You know that your water is still on. You know that that, that the way you you do things, you're probably going to get a ticket. I'm going to tell you something because I care enough about you, about my neighbors, that we learn from the fact that Abraham is willing to go to bat for Saddam. Meaning these are ideas which are bigger than simply the, 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 the law itself. These are examples and many, many, many examples of what is called descriptive values. I remember I was on a flight recently and I was having this debate. I just had I was at a Yerge Kala um, down in Florida a year ago. And, and one of the topics we had the opportunity to learn with Rabbi J.J. Shaft and he was talking about this topic of to, to, to care enough to give rebuke and the difficulties of giving rebuke because the people are not going to... Responded and I was on the plane back and it was still the time when flights you had to be all masked, right and it was It was it was at the time where it was the you know Things were still flaring up and the whole business and I was on the plane and it was amazing because two rows ahead of me Was this this couple is I think it must have been a Chabad couple and they spent the entire flight learning Torah It was amazing just like to each with each other It was beautiful just to listen to and the, the difficulty was they were also the only two people on the flight who weren't masked And I was like the back of the row and the stewardess was, like, busy talking about this couple, that couple that was the problem couple, and they kept on coming over to them and so on. And it was like, it was I was so torn, you know, because it's so beautiful. On the other hand, it's like... They, they, you know, clearly flaunting the laws. And I, and I don't care what you believe about masks and vaccines and who's in control of the vaccine and who, you know, like Google's. I don't, I, don't, I don't care about all your conspiracy theories. But if you're in a place where they say this is the, the rule, just act like it, they know you're a Jewish, right? They know you're Jewish. So just pretend you, 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 you care about everybody else. Forget about what you believe in right? You know, like, I got kind of Google invented the virus, okay, it's magnetic, okay, but like, let's just, just behave in a way that's, that's so, and I, so I was debating this, and I was, uh, you know, I, I was at the, I, I was waiting for my luggage, um, because I actually had brought, on a, I brought carry-on, but guess what, guess what got checked, okay, and so I was waiting at the, <laughs> it was one of those plants, you know, like those plants you spend the whole time, like, you. Know, and, so, and so I came out there, and they were sitting there, and I said, should I, should I, should I, should I, should I shouldn't I, and I said, I said, I want to know, I want to tell you something, else. two rows behind you. The Torah was, I'm really, well, I've never been on a flight, but I've heard such beautiful learning between a husband and wife. They're just sitting there and I said, but I also want you to know that I was listening to the stewardess and they were busy talking about those people. And when they talk about those people, because of this, it says, I said, it's so easy to make a Kirosh Hashem, but make a Kirosh Hashem properly, Right. And the moment I said that, the eyes went blank, and that was it. checked out. I wasn't listening. Who cares? Uh, some some idiot telling me. So it's so hard to do this, but you have to care. The point is, but we learn this actually. The Torah quantifies it later on by her chaytach chayesamusachah, but it describes it earlier on. Now, by the way, what's the danger in this the, the, this model of um, this this model of value con, of conveying values? Conforming to society too much. Um, that's that's a, that, that's not so much a danger. That's that, that that's a, that's a loss, right? But the, the danger of this is is that description is open to the interpreter, exactly. right? So that's the danger of this, is that I could read, say, Vibratius and learn from Shimon and Levi that when I don't like people, I just wipe out the city, right? So yeah. the point is, is that you need a little bit of guidance, moral guidance when it comes to when it comes to how to how to exercise description, right? So otherwise I could end up doing terrible and heinous crimes. But so it requires a masora, It requires a certain tradition accompanying that description. Or otherwise I will arrive at the end of the wrong conclusion. The problem with the description descriptive is, is it's sometimes a little hard to do this. Although I think that we do have a sense of truth and rash, uh, when we know we we're justifying, then we know that we're wrong. The third place is I think we're a little more interesting, and we're going to spend a little more time on this in two weeks' time, is what's called inductive. inductive. So induction, just as a quick reminder for those who appreciate mathematical induction. You, know, you remember how induction works as opposed to deduction? So, let, so induction is, is where I need to induce a rule. So I have a pattern, you know, I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So I have to induce the rule, and the rule in that case is what's called n plus 1. That's the, 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 the rule of the series, which is the number plus 1, right. Then it gets more complicated when you have things like 1, 4, 9, 16, 25. You're, then, then, then what's the rule then? The induction is n squared. But then it gets more complicated. You understand? So we can just start making the series or the, fa- the details more complicated, to induce a more complex rule. So, what induction is is looking at the outcome, the details, and saying what's the rule behind this? What is the what is the formula for the series behind this? That's the process of induction. By the way, that's the methodological that's the methodological way that Gomorrah conveys or Mishnah conveys education. It's inductive, not deductive. If it was deductive, or if it was, it would be laid out in front of us, and then we can deduce the results. But here, it is actually a conversation about X. And you have to realize that X, actually, that debate means to say that the value behind it is Y. That's called in, in, <coughs> induction. If I'm listening to an example I give in America is if you're listening to a cricket match and you have to figure out the rules from listening to the commentator. Right? So you hear about all kinds of things and it's like it all sounds completely foreign. Right? It's the same as when I first listened to a, um, a baseball match. Right, where it's all completely foreign, but you suddenly put the pieces together, a triple header, like who's got, where's the third head? Like, you know, like all these things, you know, like you suddenly start putting all the pieces together, you induce the rule. So so the same is true about, about Torah. So a number of examples of this. Actually, um, just a number of years ago, Abby gave me the opportunity of visiting the, the offices of, of the Honorable Jack Weinstein of Blessed Memory. Um, at the age of ninety-five, I think we went when he was when he was uh, still rendering decisions in the district uh, court, um, and um, and his topic was he gave an annual lecture on environment on on a topic in Judaism, and he wanted to talk about environmentalism. This was around two thousand and fifteen, when I think when, when when it was a sort of change of presidencies, he was worried about the future, and he he wanted to he wanted to talk about environmentalism and Judaism's relationship with it, and he really wanted to have a specific you know a specific mandate that Judaism talks about environmentalism. And we went through a number of the the topics and um, and we put together a beautiful, a beautiful um, collation of material on this topic. And the truth is that it's not so easy to say that the Torah demands X, not Y, because the Torah, in this case, actually we can induce principles, but we can't Prescribe principles as an example. So like, there's multiple times where the Torah talks about the idea, but how we apply it is somewhat more complicated, but the rule <coughs> is induced. So as an example, the Torah talks about how you, that human beings are placed in the Garden of Eden, La'avda La'shamra, La'avda is to cultivate, to develop, to expand, La'shamra is to preserve and not to destroy. Right? So we, we see examples of this where the Seva talks about, let's say sorcery or basar v'cholav, like meat and milk, are all examples where we start mixing different species lines, we start playing games with the way that nature is to destroy it in a way that's I- incorrect or beyond correction. and that is, that, that is con- considered um, improper. We, we hear about ideas like when we, we are supposed to besiege cities and how we treat the trees of that city, not, not simply the fruit trees cannot be destroyed and says in source 16. Although technically speaking, Baal is in the situation of war and it's specifically a fruit tree, it also applies itself in the lunchroom. It also applies itself in other aspects of life and our Commercialism, or the way that we deal with things, and that when something's broken, we don't fix it, we discard it and replace it. The fact that when something's half, half empty, we throw it out and just buy something new, it's meant to convey to us rules. Other examples in the Torah is where the, the Midrash says in the Qo'ales, Rabbi Ra'eus Kim Sashariv in Hashem gave a tour of Gan Eden to Adam and says, "Look how beautiful my natural ecosystem is. (inaudible) I created for you human beings. To make sure not to destroy it." So again, multiple different points. The Torah is not prescribing a specific policy. The Torah is telling us values which we put together, we get a sense, we induce that the Torah does care about environment. Another example is in halachic terminology. There are certain things you are not allowed to be in yeshuv, in, in settled areas. And one of them is, um, uh, one, of, one of those things is that we're not allowed to have is ashpasois uh, or Kivshanois. We're not allowed to have industrial plants or um, let's say like, you know, furnaces and kilns within the yeshuv where people are living because it affects other people, right? So the, we convey these ideas. Now, if you're to say, well, specifically what, how, how, how far away? You know, uh, um, is this the, the Gomorrah does prescribe it? But to what about what about a you know a chemical plant today? You know, w- what about pipelines that run from a you know, there's complicated questions which have to be answered. What, where 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 do cruise ships right uh, commercial cruises where are they allowed to to let let out all their garbage? You know, what do we do with uh, subway cars? You know, all these questions that are that arise today. What about the sinking islands in the in the mid Pacific well, and, and global warming? These are real issues, right? Um, and, and how do we, so the, the Torah is not saying a specific policy, but from all the touch points, these ideas, we see there is a value in the Torah of looking after the world and not destroying. We see there is a value in, uh, in, in, in the idea of respecting Yeshuv. These are examples of where we have to induce. Now, it is left up to us to understand the Torah, the Torah does not believe in commercialism. The Torah believes in usage for specific good but ultimately how does that look like more complicated to apply itself similarly when it comes to damage you know let's say that you have a great insurance policy you're at the end of your car lease and then somebody really annoying is is bothering you you could technically speaking say well if I just rear-end them right they're gonna have to pay a whole lot more than me right so uh, so and I can drive off and everything's fine so does the Torah allow this (coughs) so the Torah actually never says the principle of don't damage somebody else's property you know that Torah never says that. The Torah talks are paying for other people's damage to property. So you could say, "Well, I'll take it. I'll bite it because I really want to create them aggravation. I know how long it is at the body shop. I've got my neighbors. A, my neighbors an auto body repair fellow He'll take care of it in one. And they'll have to go and send their car in three weeks. And so I'm going to take. The, I'm going to. I'll. I'll swallow the the, the money and, and and take care of it." How do we know that, that it's not allowed? So the reason again is through induction. As an example, the Torah tells us in, in source 19, <coughs> about a <speaking thousands of treble samurai> If the, let's say your ox goes and kills, God forbid! You have to, you have to pay. You have to pay, and there's even a, perhaps a, a, a potential theoretical death penalty on such a person. And then we hear in source 21, <coughs> "You cannot stand by Where your brother's blood is being spilled." In source 22, <coughs> "You can't deny, you can't steal, you can't withhold wages." The Torah says, Rabbeinu Yaakov, the son of the Rosh, the precursor to Shoharach says in source 23, in what is and Mishpat today, he called it and Mishpat you're not allowed to damage as in the same way that you're not allowed to steal As long as it's within your control, you do not have the right to damage another person. Where did he learn this from? The Torah never said it. He learns it from the fact that the Torah talks so much about the responsibility of pain. The Torah obviously assumes that damaging itself is a problem itself so this is even in halakhic, the halachic world is you can induce laws we're going to take a look in more detail we have a little more time in a couple of weeks time at a specific example which will deal with animal rights hopefully in terms of torah law <coughs> and what the torah law says and, and and perhaps some of the induction principles there which is a fascinating example case, case in point but B'erazimbe, we have three different angles how does the torah convey meta values answer is meta meta ideas values one is is it tells us sometimes the value That's prescriptive. Sometimes it will describe a value which we're supposed to learn from that because that's the most easy way to learn with a danger of misinterpretation. That was induction, right, where we will see that there will be a number of different touch points or um, or facts which come together to produce a rule, produce a value, a larger arc into what Judaism is expecting of us. And this therefore leads us to an interesting conclusion. I'd like to end with the introduction to the sefer called Ma'ala Satara, which is actually the brother of the Vilna Gaim. You know, sometimes we always become a relative of somebody, right? <laughs> right? At some point in time, we're somebody's child, and then we're somebody's sibling, and then we're, some, and then, and then we're somebody's spouse, and then we're somebody's parent, and then we're somebody's p- grandparent. So we always become somebody's somebody, right? Which is good, because that means you've got important people in your family, right? It's good. So he was the brother of Vilna God. He wrote a book called Ma'alas, a Torah, a very short sefer, where he says... And this is a beautiful, and we'll close to this. He says, You cannot say, You cannot say there's only 613 mitzvahs in the last source in 24. Because then, technically speaking, there's only three mitzvahs with, from the first, really essentially one fifth of the entire Torah. There are many mitzvahs which don't seem to include a single mitzvah. Uh, uh, clearly that's not acceptable. It is possible to look at the Torah that every word, every pasuk contains a mitzvah. <coughs> and you may say, wait a second, when we're learning the the descendants of Esav, at the end of Paschus Vayishlach, what mitzvah is there? But He's saying that, uh, that if one looks hard enough, if one's able to distill enough, you can see that in fact in the, the marriage systems of the Of Asav and who Timnah marrying the the Eliphaz and Timnah wanted to be part of Yaakov, and there's actually a mitzvah, there's actually laws about how we treat those who perhaps are not appropriate to be married in, but how we reject people is even learned from, from from places like that. And therefore, he says, if you look at the Torah as a whole, don't limit it, don't quantify it as 630 mitzvahs, and that's the cap. There's much more to the Torah as a whole, which now leads us, and we'll close with a question. And that is, is is that when the Torah is conveying to us these ideas, and there's the different ways of phrasing this question, is the Torah aligning itself with principles which we know to be just independently? Meaning, if we were left on a on a if we were a baby left on a on a, a desert island, brought up by the wolves, and we were to and we were to be then confronted with a particular. Um, A particular idea would we nod and say that's that idea makes sense is Hashem trying to align with what is we'll call it the true north in every human being and then really we have that inside of us or do you say that no God said something and because he said it it became moral and that's why we are more not we are more um, inclined in that in that direction which is it is God choosing something which is externally moral and therefore, the question is, so where does that come from? Does God give credence to that? Where did that come if it's not outside of His Word, technically speaking? Or do you say that His Word is what actually created morality itself? If that's the question one step back from what we're doing, which is the space for for, for morality in the world. Folks, we'll hold it here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I look forward, Mr. Shem, to continue our learning together.